This is the Runtime FM Podcast. Tech moves fast. Web development moves fast. And we're up to the very second every single day. Let's do it. This is Runtime FM. And now your hosts, Otis Sutton and Case Eden. Hello and welcome. My name is Otis Sutton. I am a developer from New Zealand and today I am being joined by Case. Case, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Case um, Eden. I'm also a developer from New Zealand, have uh, worked with Otis in the past and are still very good friends. So today I thought we could sort of, I think it's nice to follow on from 2023 predictions with sort of developer productivity. I think it's Sort of, we're just coming out of the New Year's resolution. Um, a lot of people, myself included, uh, sort of take that time to potentially look at their workflow, you know, mm. think about learning a new kind of editor, um, <laughs> sort of maybe evaluate how things are at work in terms of their productivity. So I thought we could sort of have a chat about that. Um, I took a couple of notes before and I was sort of having to think about it. And I sort of, I think there are like, five cornerstones of productivity that I want to talk about. So the first one is like our day-to-day like office setup, talking about like ergonomics, Mm. um, things like that. Uh, The next one is I actually want to target like ergonomics specifically. So not just like having a nice office, but like the things, the steps we take to be ergonomic, whether that be keyboards or chairs or screens or things like that. Um, Next up, I want to talk about the software that we use to do our job. Um, so things like our code editors and stuff like that. Then I want to talk about uh, the tools that we use to make our, our our sort of work easier. And what I'm talking about when I say that is things like where are we deploying our applications? You know, like what services are we using that actually speed up the development throw, flow as opposed to building it ourselves? And then the last thing I want to talk about is like communication. Like how do we communicate productively? And that can be from like all the way to our team, to like our wider org and our wider company. Uh, could be to do with the software we use, like whether we're on Slack, um, how we conduct retros, stuff like that. So like really broad sort of spectrum. We may not get to talk about all of it, but some of it might be quite quick to talk about. So I just want to sort of go with that. What do you think? Sweet. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Cool. So the first one I'll talk about was office setup. So do you want to just kick right in and tell us a little bit about how you set up your office in such a way that's good for you and sort of things that you've learned do and don't work? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the the first thing that most people think about, or at least me as a developer and probably you too, Otis, is... uh, his number of monitors. I think that plays a huge role in, in productivity and efficiency as a developer. Um, I have I have tried the old laptop um, and single monitor or sometimes just laptop setup. And it can be nice for, you know, um, short periods of time. Maybe you're traveling, maybe you're, you just want to change a view somewhere in the house. But um, yeah, I don't think anything can really beat the two to three monitor setup. Um, I myself go between using a uh, one landscape and one portrait and then the double landscape set up for my monitors. Works really well. Yeah, very, very good for productivity. Yeah, do you agree? Yeah, I do. And I sort of, I had a question there because I've always, I've always sort of put front-end development in like a special box for this one because, you know, I'm like, oh, well, it's so visual. So we need like one monitor for code and one (laughs) monitor for the website at least. You know, like that's always sort of been my mantra. And I know that recently you've sort of moved into the backend space and mm. do you still find that to be true? Yeah, I think because your your like next in line primary kind of interface to debug is the terminal and it can be really nice having that as on a second monitor and you know having your kind of um 
you know, your, your console logs or your prints kind of giving you uh, information there for where you are in your code. Because um, without it, you kind of just, yeah, I guess in the same So it's still, it ultimately, like it still boils down to that feedback loop, right? Yeah, it's about yeah, exactly. having that really rapid feedback loop. And one thing I've sort of been interested in lately, and I think we've talked about this before, is I'm really interested in moving, I guess, quote unquote, down to a single extra large monitor. Um, yes. as opposed to having the two or the three. Mm. Uh, is that something you've been thinking about doing? Do you have any thoughts? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think um, the only thing stopping me from getting an ultrawide is the the price point. It can be quite mm -hmm. pricey, especially if you want to go for those super large ones um, that get you, you know, two monitors worth of, of real estate. Mm. Uh, they're like, what, $2,000, I think? Yeah, and new? it's there's like, not to sound silly, but like you actually need the space, you know? Yeah. Like they're, yeah. they're quite hefty to... To mount and maintain and you sort of you need the desk and the room i yeah. guess yeah definitely i hadn't even thought about um mounting those things on an arm because there's no way i'm going back to um you know pleb stand monitor stand on my desk the the, the desk real estate you lose is insane you have a stand kind of in the main keyboard area yeah and like just even that that slight angle like that neck down that really yeah. like slight man yeah. it just plays hell on your shoulder <laughs> like over time yeah so yeah. The, the biggest motivator for me um wanting to actually move to a single screen setup setup is a lot of the tools i use uh both on windows and mac and, and to an extent linux when i'm using mm. it are like for arranging my windows they do work with multiple monitors but the the, the experience and and sort of the i guess the ergonomics of how they work is actually much nicer on a single monitor yeah so it's there's like multiple reasons and one of the one of the actual drivers for wanting new hardware is actually how my software would run on it yeah so that's yeah no that's interesting i think one of the the biggest points for me with your office setup is sunlight yeah and i was going to say we've talked about this before so at the moment i am and we've sort of recently converted this room to an office and it gets quite a bit of sunlight it makes a world of difference um i find over the course of the day yeah i think it's a, um it's it's an interesting point because i don't think it well for me at least i don't know how to fix you but i don't think sunlight directly impacts my work i think what it does impacts me as a, as a human and mm. you know over a longer period of time that can definitely you know impact my productivity um you know being a being a dungeon dweller um <laughs> is, isn't probably too good for your mental health in general but yeah um i would say now like if you asked me a year ago i'd say who needs sunlight um but after doing you know a stint with trying to bring more light to my room yeah it definitely does help with productivity kind of through you not necessarily the environment do, do you agree yeah no 100 <laughs> yeah. i don't like like not like to sort of make a, a sort of silly exaggeration of it. Like, I don't think opening your curtains makes you a tennis. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's not like, it's not like, you know, like getting a new keyboard, like yeah. doesn't make you the ultimate developer. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, like over time, I think just in terms of, yeah, like your mental health and, yeah. just, and even to an extent physical health, it just has like a, a positive effect on how mm. that plays out. It's, um, it's it's really interesting because i don't know if you've um kind of heard the same thing but when you look at i mean it's very obvious for athletes like physical sport athletes you know they have to have a well-balanced life you know nutrition kind of um, obviously physical health all that sort of stuff but then when you um come over to like esports and stuff um that still plays a role you know you see them still kind of trying to keep that balance of good nutrition you know keeping good sleeping patterns uh, physical exercise because you know overall it does still impact your your brain 
Absolutely. And yeah, I'm wondering if there's a kind of an extreme of product uh, productivity where you go full full blast. You're you're eating your avocados and your chia seed in the morning, uh, trying to get you know maximum fat to the brain to try to be as productive as possible. I uh, like speaking from my own experience, since obviously it's very anecdotal. I like when I am sort of at the gym and and taking an interest in what I'm putting into my body, and and I guess for use of a better word, clean eating. I don't yeah. like I don't love that expression, but mm. I guess that's what you call it. I do perform better at work. Yeah. Um, like I do, I, I find I have like more clarity and mm. I tend to solve problems faster. Yeah, same here. I think I noticed the like most uh, benefit was when I was both training well and eating well early in the morning and then mm. you directly go into work and you're just so ready to go. It's, it's Yeah, like I, I found that if I if I get up early and go for a morning run and I don't know if it's the endorphin kick or whatever, mm. um, part of it too, like I would be lying if I said part of it was no one else is working. So I get, yeah, to, true, yeah. I get to just head down. But mm. like that two hours, that's yeah, the easily best. the highest performing yeah. hours of the week. You know, like that, that if I did that five days a week, those 10 hours are probably – as productive as the other 20 or 30 to be yeah, completely me. honest with you yeah and i obviously like that's that's relative like i measure productivity in lines of code written for myself and like that's actually not necessarily how the business measures it you know they might think that the meetings that i'm tied up in during the afternoons <laughs> are really valuable well, yeah well they, they, they keep they keep fucking uh, scheduling them so yeah i, I guess they do <laughs> yeah so so yeah but like for, for, for my own sort of measurement i um i definitely like that and i i mm. find those that that time really fulfilling yeah um i think that, that segues really nicely into the next point and we've sort of touched on it a little bit as sort of ergonomics so this is something i've been thinking about a lot lately i recently purchased a split keyboard um and i have been sort of learning how to use that and i'm, I'm i'd like to say i'm getting pretty proficient and it, it's made a huge difference to a lot of the shoulder pain that i get i also have a really? yeah yeah it's wow. made it made an absolutely huge difference to the shoulder pain and i also have a sort of dorky chair that doesn't have a back and it's sort of got these like these shin these shin well the shin cushion i guess and you sort of hook your legs in behind it i've had that for a couple of years now when i was having some back pain and it made a huge difference there as well i probably don't have a lot going on with my desk like i've i've more or less just have a raised monitor and that's sort of it um, but like what, what sort of steps have you taken and what things have you found that work for you? Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I think for a long time I had this crazy expensive ergonomic chair that I got for cheap. And it's it's one of those human nature things where when stuff's going well, you don't notice it. But as soon as it's like, uh, you know, something's uh, negative, mm. you, it's big sirens. You definitely cannot miss it. Um, and yeah, once I, my ergonomic chair broke, I think I tried to obviously get a new one, couldn't went to the old hundred dollar jobby from, you know, the local store and yeah, yeah. oh my Lord, back pain uh, just instantly hit me. It sucked after, you know, a week of using that, I was in pain. Yeah. It was actually quite like a frantic search to try find similar design chairs. Cause it's mm. very, um, like I don't think I've ever seen one, uh, like it except for the exact brand. It was a struggle. And they're not cheap, it. eh? They're oh, no, no. Cheap. The, the one I got was, I think, $700, but it was on special because no one bought it because it's $700 and looks, you know, weird. Um, I got it for like 150 like six or oh, seven wow. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, that's, yeah, that's impressive. I should have bought four. Like, it's, yeah, like, it's been, a, I actually contacted their, like, support in America, I think LA, to see, if, you know, if there was any kind of shipping 
um yeah it's like, you're gonna get here no dice and you get a response really but um but yeah i think cheer in my opinion is like number one mm. and after that i had a lot of elbow pain that i i originally um was blaming it on my keyboard setup and i did the same thing i bought a split keyboard gave it a go um the learning curve was pretty frustrating so that mm. helped in um me kind of dropping it but uh, i didn't actually notice a lot of uh, relief in the the elbow pain for me so um yeah i think what's helped a lot recently recently is pushing myself really deep into my desk and having my um I have a very, very deep desk. I think you mm. do too, right? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. absolutely. Going very yeah. deep into the desk, pushing the keyboard all the way back and having like your entire forearm resting on the um, the desk. So yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, complete up, uh, arm support. Um, yeah, those two things are the, the main things I kind of attribute to or care about in terms of ergonomics. Everything else, I mean, I've, I've messed around a bit with monitor heights to try and get, you know, not a lot of eye or neck strain. And mm. yeah, the end of look success. Uh, when it's been lower, I haven't really noticed much. When it's been higher, haven't either. But yeah, that's all I've really kind of attempted to do ergonomics wise in my setup speaking about eye strain i obviously when we were working together i got uh some tinted glasses with the mm. sort of various tints and they 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 sort of have some weak magnification as well um sort of when i talked to them about being a software developer they they, they thought it'd be a good idea and i have to say that that has made a significant difference oh, wow. in my productivity um most noticeably obviously i don't get the migraines now yeah which were obviously debilitating yeah they used to um, plague you a lot right yeah so like i that's probably been the most impactful thing i've done in terms of my setup but also you know like that's just very specific to me you know like mm. a lot of people don't have migraines so they're not gonna they're not gonna get that return and yeah. that's really where the return was so yeah but i think it's definitely something that's good to be cognizant about i think if you are sort of at work and you there there is something that's not working i definitely when i was younger i used to just have that like i'll oh, just shoulder on mentality yeah and as i've gotten older i'm just so not that guy anymore like <sighs> i will immediately zero in and be like right we're getting this fixed today. yeah i said the <laughs> exact same thing and then i think i took a step back once and i kind of realized how how much time in the week i'm at my desk um mm. I, you know otis and i both uh you know gamers we enjoy playing video games you know obviously mm -hmm. watching content on youtube browsing all that sort of stuff so when you add in work you know eight hours and then you put in your leisure time which is you know anywhere from four to another eight on top you're like at a whopping like 70 hours a week uh at your desk and it's like holy okay that's need to think about ergonomics now when it's that much time and what what have your thoughts and yeah totally agree by the way what are your thoughts on standing desks because i've tried them and i they just did not work for me yeah i remember we um places where artists and i used to work everyone had a standing desk and i think i used it maybe three times mm. um as more of a novelty party trick than anything because it's it's uncomfortable i mean i, yeah. I don't know what else to yeah. say um I, i'm i'm the type of person who doesn't really need to stretch their leagues um very mm. comfortable sitting for a long amount of, amount of time um so the whole idea of like standing for an hour did not appeal to me um, i also so, like yeah. i don't know if i potentially had it set up wrong but i could never get the right balance of having my screen where i wanted it for my eyes and uh, my yeah. arms feeling comfortable yeah like i just i could not find that middle ground like i honestly have more luck like unplugging my laptop and just going over to like like a bench somewhere and just yeah. putting my laptop on the bench and working like that mm. um than i ever did with the standing desk but but people rave about them you know people yeah love about them and i would like they're certainly they've almost got to the point where they're like a little bit of a status symbol you know it's like yeah you have, you have a standing desk 
Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, yeah. You go yeah. to like um, stock images for like tech company or high tech business or whatever. And yeah, everyone's, yeah. everyone's standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely correct. And I, I'm just not here for it. That just never really worked for me. The the one thing I will say that I really really like about the standing desk is nothing to do with the standing portion. It's actually being able to adjust this how how high the seated portion is. For me, I like it as close as possible to my legs, so that I have as much kind of I have my arms as close to my sides as possible. Um, sometimes yeah. if, if yeah. my chair is too low or whatever, my arms uh, flared right out and I feel like I'm a you know I'm an alligator cr- crawling across my desk or whatever. Um, <laughs> there's a mental image for you. Yeah, no, that's the one thing I absolutely love. I'd always have my desk at work right on my knees. It's awesome. Yeah. The one um so when we when we converted this room into the office, um we had the desk built into the wall basically. Mm-hmm. And um when the builder was here, he said sort of how high do you want it? And I sat on my chair and measured from like my knees. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Here. And yeah. he was like, Really? Are you sure? And like, Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, I want like I want my my the like my legs, like my knees, my thighs to be touching the desk when yeah. I'm under it. I yeah, I totally agree. Mm. I don't know if that's healthy, but it is very comfortable. Oh uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that definitely works works for me as well. Sort of moving on, unless you sort of had anything else you wanted um, to jump in with. Yeah, I had one one more comment, um, kind of going back to the whole um kind of eye strain and when you mentioned the glasses with the Mm. slight magnification i think that may have helped me like five years ago because what i've noticed is why not and and my mum for example she has and my dad as well like she's short-sighted so she needs Mm. glasses Mm -hmm. and they'd only developed which was like 50 um so like 10 years ago but i've noticed that because i work oh this is what i think it's due to because i work so often close to a screen it's rapidly deteriorated my long side sightedness mm. and like i'm yeah shocking you take me to a supermarket and i can't read any sign so maybe you know five years ago when i was starting a slight magnification would have kind of held that off held off that um need to be that's, so intently focused close up yeah that's really interesting because i i like i don't resonate with that like my long-sighted vision for the most part i've found okay wow um, interesting i would i would actually go as far as to say like if anything suffered it would be my short sighted. interesting and i i don't know if I can attribute that to to the glasses or not, to be completely honest with you. But it is interesting. Like, it's, that's definitely food for thought. So the next thing I want to talk about, and this is like, this is a real passion area for me. So I'll try very hard. <laughs> the same machines? Uh, no, no, same <laughs> machines. Um, that could be a whole episode. Yeah, um, yeah maybe too. <laughs> Jesus. So um, you do it with yourself, to... no guests needed. Oh, yeah, no, 100%, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> the next thing I wanted to talk about was the software that we use to write code. So, like, mm-hmm. not the software our company uses, like the software, you know, like any computer, any company you go to, you know, provided they let you use your own software. What are the tools you're installing? What are the things you work with every day? what have had the highest impact on sort of making you productive yeah mine's very minimal there's only a few things i really you know have to install early on and it's even got to the point where really the only thing i actually install is vs code that's the edit of choice for me and i just use whatever baked in terminal is is kind of best um in some cases you know uh, i might install an alternative like for windows i use windows terminal and then on mac i think i just use iterm2 whatever comes with it i am not not too fast uh terminal wise for Mac at least. And yeah, I'm actually like, I don't think there's anything else in my workflow setup that I care about. Um, not even extensions. 
I'm opening my editor to see if I have any extensions. Interesting. So I the opposite. <laughs> I have a um I have like a a long-standing relationship with like my editor and changing it. So it's back when I like yeah, back when I started out my career, I um I started out with WebStorm and sort of PHP Storm, the IntelliJ products. And I largely started out with them because well, you know, that's not true. I started out with Sublime text, and that was what I used myself. And then so for personal projects and learning. And then when I got my first job, VS Code didn't exist here, by the way. That Jesus like Christ. Were you writing yeah, code that, on tablets? Uh, thank you. That's um, a stone, that, stone tablet, that, by the way. That wasn't an option. And the senior developer where I worked, he use the IntelliJ products. Uh, and so I just sort of, you know, naturally moved on to those. It made things easy. There were a couple of plugins we sort of both used and it just sort of meant that he could sort of tutor me on my machine easily mm-hmm. um, and sort of it was familiar to him. And he taught me a lot, a lot of shortcuts. And it's actually funny. I remember like back when we were working together and sort of earlier on in your career and every now and then I'd like show you a shortcut and be like, whoa, how'd you do that? Oh yeah, man. Um, that reminded me of me with him. Like I would, yeah. I would always be like that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop what you're doing on, go back. tell me right now how you did that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I sort of, I was on IntelliJ for a long time. Then I caught the Vim bug. Um, I had a friend, a classmate uh, who was using Vim. It was really interesting because like when he was using Vim, I, I'll be honest, he wasn't actually very fast. Um, and oh, he was no. like trying to sell it to me. And I was like, I could do all of this much faster. In, in <laughs> but I like, I got interested, right? Like he sort of, he made me interested in it. I did quite a bit of research. I was like, oh, yeah, well, no, I really like this. At the time, NeoVim was sort of in its infancy, but it was rapidly great, gaining traction. And um, some of the bigger plugin developers for Vim had sort of moved over to NeoVim. And when I sort of look at this in hindsight, I do wonder if actually adopting NeoVim so early on in its life is what drove me away from Vim. And I'll sort of touch mm. on that, that, that shortly. But yeah, I got I got very into them. Um, I sort of I installed all these plugins. I you know had these bash scripts that would set up my machine. It was all very very complicated um, and and not as portable as I was probably telling people it was. I sort of I'd almost got them to like. IDE level functionality, which I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people go on to use them and then they just sort of recreate their IDE from like 50 plugins that are all supported by different people and aren't guaranteed to work together. And they're sort of like, this is like, this is that, like I'm living, I'm, I've got, it's better, it's better than anything else because I can edit text faster. When in reality, 99% of your popular editors out there actually support Vim bindings probably better off actually just getting up and running with one of those and if you're one of those guys who's trying to turn vim into an yeah. idea sorry sorry all the vim users out there who have turned vim into an idea i apologize but, um, yeah i mean if you're, if you're 50 plugins deep in this niche you know <laughs> terminal base editor i would also be like yeah this is the, this is the tits i'd be selling yeah. it to everyone i'm so uh, and deep and i, I was, go back i yeah. was man I, I was i was the worst i'm like i was i look back and i'm like oh man i'm so like ick like who was I? Um, and so, and I did that, and I and I worked with that, and like that was my daily driver at work. Like I like I I fully invested. Like it wasn't like I used it at home. It was like I fully invested. I got really into it, and I just got, I got so sick of maintaining the plugins. Like they and again, this could be because any of them was in its infancy, but they would just constantly update and break on me, and there was no guarantee that they worked together. And I was constantly writing like this these Vim scripts, sort of layers to get everything working together. And I just got really sick of it. It was at sort of that time that VS Code, like it had been out a while at this point, like it like it had been out back 
when I'd been on like WebStorm, like it had come out, it was gaining popularity. And I sort of, I was just like, screw this, man. I, I, it just works. You know, I download it and I open it and it works. So I brought into VS Code and I brought into VS Code for years, like, like up until last year. And I was proudly running VS Code just like you are now with like, mm. with like no extensions. Yeah. I like, three, I, like this, being a season, yeah. that's it. It was like, it was like nothing. It took me like, like I didn't, I didn't need scripts to get a computer up and running because I had one app that I used. Mm. Um, and it was sort of my everything app. And like, I, I went out of it. One thing I will say about learning Vim that I think everybody, I think it, almost everybody should try Vim. I can't believe I'm saying this. I think almost <laughs> everybody should try Vim in the sense that Vim teaches you the value of understanding your, your text editor through and through, understanding the value of learning your editor's shortcuts because mm. uh, they make you much, much faster. And I, I spent like a lot of time learning the VS Code idioms. I remember like when you were at Fingermark, we were talking a lot about like chords, like C-H-R-O-D-S and, and setting up our own chords and like getting VS Code to do all these things, you know, in these sequences. And it, it was cool. Like it was really neat. And I liked that. And then, uh, ironically, sorry, I, I told you I could talk about this forever. Um, <laughs> and then, I, ironically, I actually went out for about half a year ago. I went out for lunch with that senior dev who'd used PHP Storm and WebStorm, still does, um, had used those products. And he said to me, he was like, oh, are you still using Vim? And I was like, it was the way he said it. Yeah. And he sort of inadvertently nerd sniped me like back into that space. And at the time, Helix had sort of was gaining popularity. And it's an editor that's really similar to Vim. They make some just they've made some decisions about how like the syntax works for manipulating text. And I I actually tend to agree with those decisions. Um, a lot, like a lot of people obviously don't, but I think they are really productive. But the thing that made Helix awesome was Helix is trying to ship an IDE-like experience with no plugins needed. So it's kind of like, it's it's kind of like VS Code meets Vim, right? Like I can install Helix and it just works, but I get that like, that like ability to edit text really fast. And it's like, it's the, the biggest selling point about it is it has, full LSP integration by default. So you can hook up to the TypeScript language server, the, you know, the Go language server, and you have the equivalent, you know, com completion and, you know, like, under like your IDE understands your code exactly the same as VS Code does. And I think, like, that's something that's really interesting and we should probably talk about, maybe not today, but, like, I think a lot of people attribute VS Code's like awesome TypeScript support to VS Code when actually it's just the TypeScript language server and sort of any IDE that understands language servers can leverage that. Now, obviously, those both those products coming out of, uh, of Microsoft, so it might be the same people working on them. But what I'm saying is like that level of like TypeScript support is not exclusive to VS Code. Interestingly, um, I don't even use. I was just thinking about it um, in terms of uh, language support, and for the mm. Longest time I thought I had, uh, you know, Python like syntax highlighters and mm, mm -hmm, autocomplete mm -hmm. installed. I'm just running raw text basically. I have <laughs> Python, and I mean it's worked. Like definitely, I've noticed a hit. Just a side comment on something I noticed regarding IDEs and language support. I have noticed that now that I'm using helix i have actually turned a lot of the autocomplete and stuff off so and that's actually because i found like it was just kind of noisy i absolutely leverage the type checker 
you know, so getting that like immediate feedback when I have like a type conflict in TypeScript, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, this won't fit into that or, you know, you need to check if this is undefined. Absolutely leverage that. But the actual auto completion and stuff like that, I have seriously drawn back on that. And I like, I kind of just find I type, it's not that I type faster, that would be wrong. It breaks my flow list yeah. when I just type. And so, yeah, so I've actually, I've, I guess, almost in a sense, moved away from a lot of the niceties that people do like and i'm but i am still heavily reliant on that type checking portion of the late language server like i i would not want to work without that i love that it is that that is the feedback i care about but yeah like a lot of that other stuff like those drop downs and those pop-ups and things like that not using them don't miss them yeah um, i definitely think as on smaller projects in your comfort language don't need them really because a lot mm. of the time you're not using these you know massive um you know models or data objects that have keys and fields that you don't know off by heart you know a lot of the mm. time you're just doing regular operations and you know i'm never going to forget a, a map or a you know splice or something in js but yeah exactly. on larger projects i think where you're kind of interacting with other people's areas of code i have myself had to work on a, a project that large or like another team has a separate kind of domain yeah i think they can help kind of keep the cognitive load out of your head and kind of in the in the machine yeah and that like that is certainly something i've noticed tools like helix and vim and stuff which just most modern ideas they really aggressively buy in to fuzzy finding um and sort of these instant file finders for personal projects i find though and people might disagree with this and this is like this is very much personal opinion for like personal small projects i find those tools great when i know what i'm looking for mm. for bigger corporate projects that i'm working on i actually find those tools quite annoying yeah uh, i often find myself sort of because i don't know what i'm looking for so yeah. often and like too VS, much exactly and in like like a vs code model i might like global search for some you know string that i know is going to be row on its b find the file and then actually you know like i had a like a, a key bind when i was using vs code like i think it was command j k no command k is their normal core one that's why yeah. so i bound all my chords to command j something to be so i had like cool. i had like yeah like command <laughs> j <laughs> yeah cool. yeah i had like command no it was just so like mine was separate and like the default command j binding was something i was never using so i was like oh, okay. this is like the one thing this is like the one default i'm going to change and then i've like opened up my whole own realm of chords mm. you know that belong to just me so i was like command jf and that would reveal the file in the file tree and then actually i just kind of grok around in the file tree at that mm. point because like for the most part the files that i was sort of looking for were usually close together and there was just so many hundreds of files i was like this sort of served as my like anchor point mm. whereas with like a fuzzy finder you just don't get that it's like you you either know what you're looking for or you're just kind of winging best it guess, <laughs> yeah hope for the best so i've certainly that is like the one thing i would guess guess that i miss i i truly think that's a me issue and like it's just gonna be a matter of getting used to it but the the overall net productivity the comfort of modal editing, I cannot stress how comfortable it is. Helix is incredibly simple. It's an incredibly small surface area. Like I, I think I read the docs in like in like an hour, you know? Um, obviously it helped that I had a Vim backing and like I found a lot of those like habits came back very quickly. It's a very like small editor to wrap your head around. Um, and so yeah, like from a productivity perspective, I have certainly noticed. And okay, let me refer, I've, I've noticed an uptick in my own projects like I said, I'm still sort of blundering a bit with those bigger team projects and mm. finding things. 
Um, so maybe it's like a it's like a net zero at work, but it's a it's a huge productivity boost at home. And I, I guarantee that that will make its way to work once I sort of just get into those patterns a bit more. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to go back and uh, ask, uh, what sin did you commit to get the punishment of reading IDE docs for one hour? Uh, no, no, because like like when when you're using like a graphical IDE, like. There's buttons, you know? So it's like, I'll, I'll click the button. Uh, when you use a mobile editor, there's no button. Okay, so you're saying I have to read the docs phone and use Helix. I, and, and like, you're I lost, me, you lost me already. You just uh, <laughs> give it to me straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's like, like, what, like, what's the Vim meme? You know, like people get in and can't get out. Um, get Helix to, is the how same, how you know? Yeah, like it's exactly the same. Vim. Like you exit Helix in the same way, meaning that like, 90% of the population don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. The reason I was able to peruse through those quickly, what was because I had experience with that. <laughs> so like, it take me two to three hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably. Um, and then it would feel awful for like a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> and then and long term, you come out the other end and it's, it's And you need the same fun. productivity as you would on the code. <laughs> Um, but you can be that guy in your uni class well, who uses a mobile right. editor so, slowly. So, so not only have we established that actually I've just, I'm the same at work, I was about to say, then there's this whole other thing that you have to set up. Um, oh, my God. And I've, I've sort of dedicated a lot of time to lately. So uh, you, you do know what these are. So, like, obviously, the more and more you commit to like this terminal lifestyle um, and these like these terminal programs, you, you, you configuring the stuff via what people call dot files. And for those of you who don't know, like a dot file is essentially like a file. Uh, it start the name of the file starts with a dot on Linux file systems name files that start with a dot are hidden um, by default. So you don't see them in your file browser, hence the name dot file. Uh, and that is where you will store all of your configuration options for whatever tool you're using. Dot files are historically a pain in the ass to manage. And there are numerous projects trying to solve that problem. I will talk a tiny little bit about the solution I'm using, but I, I, I'm actually, I'm, mate, I tell you, just like State Machines, that's an episode. Um, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can talk about it all day. I have played with a lot of those tools over my career um, at, at the times when I was using Vim and sort of living into that like real terminal lifestyle. Uh, and they all have pros and cons, and I'm, I'm not here to pick favorites. Uh, I have ended up using Ansible, which is actually a tool for provisioning servers, but is fantastic for provisioning your own machine. I used to use Ansible in conjunction with uh, Git beer repositories, which are actually a really cool tool all on their own. I actually use them a little bit at work for completely not related to dot .file things, and I can talk a bit about those sort of later if you want. And using beer repositories to sort of handle individual configs, I've actually since moved away from that, and I use Ansible for everything. Um, and I use their templating system. I use their Simlink system. I use their file synchronized system. I use all sorts of things based on my different needs. And it's just been fantastic. Those dot files are all open source. And I've spent a lot of time curating and commenting the code. And actually, I, and at some point, you know, like I want to write about it and share it and hopefully get more people using it. It's certainly there. The beauty of Ansible is I don't actually just use it for tracking my configurations. I actually use it to completely provision my machine. So when I like start with a new work machine, obviously you're just using VS Code now. So you're like, ah, it takes me <laughs> yeah. more, like, five minutes. For like, for, for me, for me, it takes more than five minutes, ironically. Um, but like for, for <laughs> me, fun. I start a script and that script will sort of run over 15 minutes. And like, <laughs> that's doing everything. That does like my editor, 
that. It does like Node, Ruby, Go. It's installing like FCDF, which is like this fuzzy finder for your terminal. It sets up my shell environment. Like it just it just does all of the stuff. That's kind of cool. Like I like it's like but how often are you setting up a new PC? You know, like, uh, that's like, see, that's the context that I have that I think the audience does, and is you know the frequency in which you job hop makes all of this worthwhile. Exactly. Very happy where I am right now. I'm not leaving. Um, but yet, but not yet. leaving yet. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just there the is... type of guy to have a uh, thumb drive on his keychain <laughs> with his favorite uh, Linux distro with hands <laughs> with friends installed. Uh, there is some. I have actually had that thumb drive in my lifetime. Oh my <laughs> lord! But uh, but I don't right now. Uh, if that if that makes it any better, but um, you're happy at your job. <laughs> yeah, like... no, it is. Yeah, you're right. The thing that I actually really like it for is keeping my computers in sync. So when I like you know, install a new binary or set up a new config or tweak a config on my Windows machine, for example, I've got it set up in such a way that, you know, I can go over to my Mac, get pull and run a command and all of those settings sync across. And that has been really valuable. It probably the value will slow down as I'm tweaking the stuff less. But right now, I really enjoy it. You need to have a, um, I guess, either some webhook or some some server that's listening for changes in that uh, repo that then ACSHs into all your current working devices, runs few servers to keep them all up to date. That actually be kind of sick. Hey man, I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, not gonna lie. That's, like, good, yeah, that's, 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 that's going on the yeah, list. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, like, yeah, that's brilliant. So no, yeah, no, I, I do really like that. I won't talk anymore. Like I've, I spent like 15 minutes then. <laughs> I, I knew that section was gonna be hard for me yeah to i know i talked a lot i think the gist of that section is like, and i can't overstate this enough i think in terms of the tools we use and productivity learn the tool yeah. you know like don't don't stop it like i've downloaded vs code i've clicked in the text area and i'm typing i'm going you know man. like there's so much more that those tools are offering and like ironically like part of why i walked away like i stopped using vs code was actually because like i wasn't using everything they had on offer and i was like oh, this is a lot of stuff i'm not using because they provide key bindings for all of that it was like getting in the way of like some of the ergonomic key bindings i would have liked man don't sleep on vs code if you're using it live into it and and like you said you don't need extensions so much of the power comes out of the book i mean maybe get a new theme that that default oh, sucks. yeah, yeah. Um, but like but like you know like so much of the power of vs code is like is like right there baked in and you could just use it yeah um i was thinking about when you mentioned you started off with webstorm and i was wondering how long had webstorm been around or i guess intellij kind of products in general been around at the time they must have been around for some time because <sighs> like i want to hazard a guess that was something like version four maybe wow. like i'm i'm guessing there like i, yeah. I would be lying if i said i knew that for certain but that does ring a bell and matt the developer he'd been using it a while you know like yeah. he was he was incredibly proficient in it and and like he never really spoke about using anything else yeah i have a couple of senior devs at my work who just swear by webstorm um they've tried vs code and i've also seen reviews and stuff and people talking about it online as well about how good webstorm is out of the box compared to vs code so mm. like even you know even more um kind of ready to go as soon as you install it and i would agree with i would agree with that based on my experience with with and jetbrains products man like <laughs> I, like jetbrains product jetbrains products can be slow and i have experienced that and maybe they've got faster but they can be slow but holy moly the level of understanding that they have mm. of your code and how they can help you 
it's mind boggling. To be completely it's honest, it's awesome. With you. I, I need to give it a go because the only experience I've had with an IntelliJ product is way back early days. Like I'm in high school here mm. on like a shitty laptop, so not a lot of processing power for these you know massive IDEs. But it was um Spider, which is the Python specific IDE they have. Oh, uh, I think it's PyCharm now, isn't it? Oh, so is that it? Must have been, that must have been. Oh, wow. way better. That must be about the same time I was using JetBrains products. Uh, oh, yeah, I think goodness. the new one is PyCharm because I, I I haven't even heard of Spider. Oh, wait, maybe I just got them mixed up. I th- yeah, no, looking at Spider, it looks like a completely different company. I think I tried Spider, <laughs> realized this is trash, and then yeah, I think PyCharm I did install maybe. I would not want to be running an IntelliJ editor on a low end. Oh, mate, it would take off. Yeah, no, I like yeah. you could. Yeah, it would either it would either reach orbit or cook your eggs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One or the other. One thing that I think is worth mentioning just before we move on is JetBrains have just recently, I think it's either gone into beta, it may even be released, they have released Fleet which is basically their answer to VS Code. It's a, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that it's got less features, even though I suppose technically it does, but it's like a, it's a more lightweight, trimmed out the stuff that they've noticed, like people outside of their power uses aren't using. And they're shipping like a, it's their spin on like a lightweight editor, um, but it's like, it's backed by a lot of their good stuff. If, if it's anything like WebStorm and, and faster, I think they have a really real chance of um, actually giving VS Code a run for its money and creating some really healthy competition in that space. Mm. So yeah, definitely one to watch. I mm. would definitely like if if you're if you're a new developer starting out, don't 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 start with Vim. People will say you should. I as from one developer to another, I would not say that it's so difficult learning to program. Don't overcomplicate it for yourself. Long term in your career, I would definitely recommend looking at it. But if you're looking at IDEs right now, uh, yeah, I think VS Code and uh, and Fleet. I think those are those are both really good options that people should be. Even even senior people should be looking at and and if you're like me and you like terminal, look at Helix. If you're if you're a senior guy, there's some really cool stuff happening in that space. All right, moving on. Uh, so talking about the tools we use to speed up the parts of our projects that aren't that we're not responsible. Well, we are responsible for, but like using tools that can take that responsibility off us. So what I'm talking about is things like hosting providers, or I suppose mostly hosting providers actually. But I suppose tools like Copilot as well. I suppose you could fit into this yeah. category. Um, chat GPT there's there's probably oh even tools like monitoring services you know like yeah. LogRocket stuff like that Sentry all of that sort of fits into this category what are, what are some what are some tools you've used recently or over your career that have taken responsibility off you or abstracted responsibility away in like a really positive and productive way I remember when I first started working at um, Fingermark kind of shameful Fingermark plug uh, <laughs> I, um, we, we use Firebase there a lot of uh, Google. What do you call that? AWS is one of the Amplify. It's like the easy to use kind of all-in-one. Yeah, I have. Kits. I have actually noticed people starting to refer to them as bases based on Firebase. Oh, so interesting. You've got, like, you've got Firebase, Superbase, Pocketbase, um, but and like people are lumping things like AppRite and stuff into mm. those categories. And I like and like I'm not talking about like I'm talking about people like you know like the Fireship YouTube channel and stuff. Oh, like okay. People coll- colloquially referring to them as bases. Interesting. That's um, cool, as though. sort of this this genre of product. Yeah, I, I think bases are amazing, especially when I was still kind of early in my my career. I did not understand a thing going on behind the scenes. So it made it very easy to kind of start deploying, start having databases, you know, start messing around and actually doing the fun bit, which is building. Um, mm. And yeah, Firebase early on was like my bread and butter. Every weekend there was a new Firebase project going up <laughs> on a new email account. Um, um, 
but yeah um that i think is really good um yeah kind of abstracts away a lot of the the pain points of having to know everything with with computing um, mm. nowadays i kind of shifted a bit but closer to having to do stuff myself it's still nowhere near actually doing it myself um, and i use netlify a shit ton yeah, yeah i have kind of the same workflow and it's interesting when you were saying you know oh i guess deployment platform is really the only only one one thing that i'd squeeze in there not even as a tool more as just a workflow process is um github templates i, I use them so those. much you i have not used those you basically just take a repo and then you can just be like make this a template and then when you make a new repo you can choose to make a repo from a template so it's just it's just copy oh it's that's, yeah, copy. No, that's incredibly useful yeah, and yeah. no that, that absolutely fits into yes. this category and absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, there was a phase where i was trying to make like a new kind of new web app or new new something like every weekend mm. and um yeah optimizing that process from kind of starting the repo to deploying it was was pretty high off my list so yeah i have like mm. a full um fully set up kind of web application pwa kind of repo that i use kind of for everything react and tailwind um all set up yeah it's, it's awesome and then yeah it goes straight through netlify for deployments which is oh the experience is so great going th through just github selecting on your account you know clicking which domain you want to use which is always just yeah. domain of my main one and yeah and then you know within 15 minutes you've got you know something deployed mate that's a that's a terrific call out that's yeah. that's fantastic yeah, yeah. no that's I, I i'm really glad that you brought that up for myself i have two that come to mind oh three that come to mind actually uh the first being pocket base it is just another base but it's self-hosted which arguably oh, cool. makes it a little bit slower but it, it's, it's so well, there isn't a cost you know it's yeah. five bucks for the vps server and the interface is gorgeous i've actually seen it described as like a lightweight alternative to firebase mm. which is already arguably pretty lightweight yeah but like what well, and i say that in like a positive way in the sense that there's just like there's so little for you to consider and the other benefit of it is the database out uh, that it writes to is sql light which means the database is just a file on your file system that you can pick up and move around and share as you need but the real beauty of it is you can back it up to a S3 bucket or a, or you know an S3 compatible host for peanuts. So creating reliable database backups. I'm using a tool called Lightstream that aims specifically at SQLite, and I I have real time database backups that cost me cents every month that I don't think about. Mm. Um, and that is just like that pocket base uh, Lightstream combination is my new favorite. It is so cheap. And I get I get all the things I got out of Firebase. The second thing, and it's going to sound like embarrassing after my dot files talk, but the second thing is actually Ansible. Um, <laughs> I at what started out as like this tool that I could use for managing my dot files. Obviously, that even isn't even what it's intended for. But that was my use case. Has rapidly become this thing I use to do everything. So I typically host my. It's interesting you're talking about templates. Like you have these GitHub templates. I have mm. these Ansible templates for hosting Pocket Base on DigitalOcean. Oh, that's that's cool. You know, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I run this one command and my pocket base host is, is there and mm -hmm. running, you know, and it sets up Lightstream with the database backup. Like everything is done. Yeah. You know, like in two mm -hmm. seconds, I have this running pocket base instance with backups somewhere in the cloud, you know, just working um, and cheap. So that would be my, and there's so much more you can do with that, but that's just an example. So that has been a 
huge productivity tool for me. And then the last one is Dino Deploy. And I have talked about this and I will try not to talk about it again, but just what a sweet deployment platform. Uh, everything being on the edge by default. JSX being baked in. Um, at the moment, the only framework really leveraging that is their own one. But anybody can. Anyone can deploy to Dino Deploy and leverage the, JS, the JIT um, JSX compiler that's on their platform. And that's just completely taken the build step out of my projects and and my my deploys are just instant i mean i'm not doing cicd but they're just instant and i'm i'm just i'm here for it man it is so <laughs> seamless man. i just like my back end goes up using pocket base with ansible and my front end goes to dino deploy and I, i'm like i'm in business how, you know how much are they paying you to say this are no, you? nothing like nothing <laughs> man, I, wish. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, I wish so there are there are other tools that have obviously had impacts and stuff but those three in particular and like like, bear in mind that's all really scoped like i'm talking about building personal web app projects yeah. but like those three tools just let me much like you're talking about with your templates mm. they just let me be running in like 15 minutes <clears throat> or less yeah there's a bit more overhead with them i think than what you're describing what you're describing sounds like just anyone could pick it up and that's yeah i literally um, the laziest person when it comes to i think i click two buttons and i yeah which, going. which is like phenomenal right like like mine does like there is like a the, you do have to have this, sort of this understanding of ansible and things like that it's interesting it's interesting eh, of the two like at the end of the day actually both of what we said essentially resulted in the same thing yeah quick to deploy personal projects that we could so we can just write code Code, right yeah, exactly. that's what i care about i want to write code let's be honest when i'm working on a personal project it's for no more than 50 minutes uh, so yeah. like that needs to be code you know <laughs> like it can't be databases and backups and this that uh, and yeah. thing otherwise i'm just i'm never i'm never getting it off the ground i'm never getting it off the ground anyway but yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm even at least i can lie to myself about it getting yeah. off the ground, maybe. Um, so those have been huge for me um and then the last section for me and this is just because i've been thinking about this a lot at work i think maybe this won't resonate with so many developers is what software or tools are you using at work to be more productive and i find personally that the thing that slows me down at work and you this may not resonate with you is bad communication um mm. and and that can mean almost anything um but that is what slows me down when when miscommunication happens so i sort of wanted to talk about what software or processes you know like a retro mm. could be a process that helps with this what software or processes you're using at work to be more productive hmm that's an interesting question i think i'll start from the the low-hanging fruit i i know i've i've tried well low-hanging fruit being kind of what do you call it messaging applications to talk to teammates mm -hmm. and colleagues slacks the goat obviously I totally agree. When I first started at my current company, they uh, wanted to integrate with the rest of the business, I guess, more seamlessly. So we kind of all use Teams. Teams is oh. yeah, the, the, around the world. You could hear that. Oh, yeah, it's really, really bad. This Which is amazing uh, because it's not that different. Weird, yeah, hey. feature wise, it's all there, but it just feels horrible. Yeah, and, um, yeah you've, you've nailed it. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, it's so, it's an uncanny valley. You don't know why, but it's just not it. But yeah, Slack, yeah, it's the go, obviously. Outside of that, I can't really think of. Well, okay, if I were to go to processes that I kind of do myself, uh, mm. I think you do it too. I think I actually got it from you. Is the whole over communication through Jira? If yeah. You're writing everything down on a ticket. You're tagging it. You're linking it. You're flagging it. It's everything is on the board that somebody else could pick it up and um, kind of not have to talk to anyone. But I notice a lot of my team doesn't do that. There are some people who shout out to them um, do, and it's it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that's kind of the big one that I I think about when mentioned kind of processes and tools 
and stuff like that. And the last one would be, I guess it's my first experience doing them. And it was the example you gave was with retrospectives. Mm -hmm. I think more than anything communicate well, yeah, it's obviously a communication tool because you're talking about issues with the team but yeah i think that's just that whole idea of revisiting what didn't work and kind of prototype uh not prototyping rapidly iterating on how your team works together is super super yeah. cool um i know yeah in the past i haven't experienced that on teams where it could have been really really helpful so it's great seeing it now yeah there's that uh principle that they talk about and i've i'm struggling to remember who whose it was right now but basically Basically, like your company's software will um, emulate or mimic uh, your company's internal communication patterns. Yeah. So if there is like a breakdown in communication between two departments, the software in between, like the basically, you know, related to those departments will not essentially work or not work well. Conway's um, law. I just Google yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. There you go, Conway's law. Thank you. Um, that is exactly it. Uh, and I absolutely believe in that. Yeah. Um, I, as as the team that I'm working on, um, the team I work on, I, I really like the team that I work on. That's a big part of why I'm where I am. We, from the outset, and I mean, even today to an extent, we had trouble communicating and, and we still do at times. But as that has gotten better, the software that we produce as a team has absolutely gotten better mm. um, without a shadow of a doubt. So I'm a big believer in the retro that you actually revisit and actually act on. Yes. I'm not interested in the retro where everyone says it's bad. Yeah. And then and and then we, we sort of, we all pat each other on the yeah, back. Yeah, the say, weekly, yep. uh, damn, it's on fire kind of. Yeah, uh, you know, up. yeah. Ah, you know, tough, tough, tough love, <laughs> tough cookies, yeah. go home, you know, have a beer come back on monday <laughs> not interested yeah. in that retro you know like yeah. it has to be the retro that we're, we're actually using and then yeah. the other tool that i have found and i feel like this this exists on a very fine line so i think that you have to be really careful about how you implement this but we had some issues at work where communication wasn't seamlessly flowing between like i guess almost like the the sub teams or like the chapters that would care about it and so what i'm trying to say is like obviously we have like a whole team of developers but there is information that like only the front end developers care about, and there is information mm -hmm. that only the back end developers care about. And but but just no one was getting any of it, and there was quite a bit of confusion. So what we created were some more informal Slack channels that grouped those groups of people together. So now we have like a a dev channel which is everyone, but we also have like a front end and a, and a back end channel, and and some people exist across both. We have mm -hmm. full stack developers, and they've sort of become these almost like the shouting rooms for like hey i'm talking to that like i like hey i'm having this conversation with this other developer about something but the context of this conversation is valuable to everyone mm -hmm. so i will have this conversation directly with them in this channel yeah but you can all see it yeah you know it's amazing the difference that is made it's just like help to patch over those small frustrating inconsistencies and it's like it's opened us up in terms of like accountability it's like like we know like it's like it's now now, not only does, you know, Otis know that, you know, his boss has told him to do something, the rest of the team do as well. Yeah. And and they can follow up, up with her. And like, some people, they might not like that. I, I quite like it. I don't mind it when my team says, oh, hey, you know, like you were asked to do this. Are, are we still on track for that? Is that okay? That doesn't bother me. It's 
Uh, yes, it does create a more accountable environment, which I know can be scary, but man, it just, it's done such a good job just increasing that context and reducing the amount people need to say twice or three times. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> we, we have something similar. We have like, you know, a back end, front end, and then like an mm. all. Um, and yeah, like we, off the top of my mind or top of my head, the only things I think that we really use those for is more kind of redirecting discussions about tooling more than anything or direction mm. of our kind of stack uh, there definitely have been instances where like it's talking about a certain portion of the project that would involve everyone who's interested in the front end but a lot mm -hmm. of the time because of how we're split on these small teams who are working on small kind of products in themselves small apps in themselves you just would say that stuff in the team chat um there's not yeah. a lot of need to reference because it's completely different tech stacks anyway yes but yeah. yeah i still think it is really valuable and one thing that um that I really like haven't had to struggle with at all at my current um my current job is just people not knowing information that they should because you know uh SLT in general are so transparent. It's insane. That's fantastic. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, like I don't think there's ever been a day where my you know my manager who's the um, head of engineering wouldn't mm. message some channel, either engineering all, a team channel, um general even, with like a huge write-up about certain discussions he's had with other the senior leadership members about direction and we were going or with certain people kind of bringing up hey this person mentioned i dropped the ball here this person wants service it, yeah it, the transparency is amazing and coming from somewhere where it hasn't been as transparent it's uh yeah it's night and day it is uh, it just really is and like obviously i'm like i'm not in a senior leadership position and you know like i've, I've been in leadership roles but they've been much more team scoped than organization mm -hmm. scope and maybe maybe there is a valid reason for not being transparent but in my experience everywhere i've worked with a high level of transparency i've been a much happier much more productive employee mm -hmm. i'm actually cool. looking through it now um our channels and yeah there's so many massive posts tagging multiple people linking stuff talking about decisions and direction and my human engineering also every week um on a friday today he kind of writes up a blog post for that week oh that's brilliant i love that yeah. i love that. and he talks about like every major decision or you know um hiring things that have happened he kind of just groups everything that's happened that week into one it's, it's super nice and then, you know that's like the seventh thing that he he's uh seventh I guess time during the week he's mentioned this information but you know sometimes you just miss these things across all these channels and having that one place as like a final yeah i i'm so here for like a, like a newsletter or a blog post or whatever it is like like a, like weekly highlights or like weekly outcomes you know yeah. and it's like it just sort of sits there and it's persistent and you can sort of consume it at your own rate in your own time I love that. I really love that. Yeah. I've had that. I don't have that right now, but I've had that with previous employers. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've never not been happy with that process or yeah. never not liked it. That's us. Sweet. We've, we've worked our way through the list. I think that was, that was really good. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Cool. All right. Whoa. Thank you. You've been listening to Runtime FM. Look, things in tech and web development move, to say the least, fast. On this show, we keep you up to date with a blazing speed of tech. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at runtime.fm. See you next time.